It's been clear for at least 30 years, to my best knowledge, that command and control may have been, some would argue, was appropriate at a certain time. I, I, I suggest maybe was appropriate at a certain time, but that time is certainly has gone, that time has passed. Um, but, but the problem is, is that there's been no real suggestion of what should replace it. And many organizations have gone down a route of doing things like, you know, trying to create a coaching culture. And, and there's a problem with that because you can't just coach people. You've got to lead and you've got to manage as well. And if you just coach people, the danger is, and the danger that managers who are trying to stay, or, or you know, interested at least in changing the way they operate, is that coaching feels very fearful. It feels like I will be relinquishing, relinquishing control. And that doesn't feel safe. So, so there's been nothing to replace it. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello, and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, I am joined today by the author of a brand new book, and it's a book that really reflects a lot of what we've talked about uh, on the Connected Leadership podcast over the last couple of years. He's a globally recognized business performance coach for leaders, and he's worked with C-suite executives in some of the most prestigious organizations all around the world. And he's also worked with senior coaches from both the England and the New Zealand rugby union teams, although I assume not at the same time. Um, he's just written and published The Enabling Manager, uh, published by my good friends at Lid Publishing. Uh, and the reason that I've invited him to join me is that over the last couple of years, as I mentioned, we've talked a lot on the Connected Leadership podcast about leadership styles. Uh, and I've probably been quite outspoken in my belief that um, command and control leadership is is or should be on the way out whether it is we'll we'll discuss and I, you know this is this is coming out on uh monday i'm doing a quick calculation in my head i think it's about the 12th of july I'm, we're recording this on thursday the 7th and today's been an interesting day in the uk um with i would argue a command and control leader uh resigning from his role um, and it's something we covered in a very recent Connected Leadership podcast about how um, Boris Johnson wouldn't brook criticism and uh, wouldn't would, would blank people um, if they push back too hard. And I think there's a good example of someone who, whose, whose style of leadership may well be going out of fashion. But don't take it from me. Let's take it from Miles Downey, who is the author of The Enabling Manager, and let's explore this topic together. Uh, so, Miles, thank you very much for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. A great pleasure, Andy. Uh, and this is really quite timely, isn't it, with, with the yeah. changes that are happening in the UK as we speak. Yeah. Uh, it's now three o'clock on Thursday, and, and uh, um, if anyone can remember that far back, I don't know how much the news has changed in the last five days till you're listening to this, because this week has been crazy. Um, Maybe we can look as we chat um, about, you know, Boris Johnson as a role model for, for what leadership style he has and, and what you think <laughs> leadership style should be. But we'll see where our conversation takes us. Um, 
but but we have, as I said, we've covered changing expectations in the workplace. We've covered uh, the need for what I believe is a need for a new, more vulnerable and inclusive approach to leadership. Uh, and I've talked about that on the podcast a number of times. I have a new talk uh, called Vulnerable Leadership as well. Uh, how accurate is, is my assessment that we do need this shift? Uh, and, and how far are we at the moment from seeing this as the norm? Are we still in a command and control state? Uh, I, I, you're, in, in my view, your assessment is absolutely spot on. That there's a need for that change. Um, that that uh, and and I think over the last ten or so years, the that group of people that we uh, have slightly condemned, that we call the millennials, I, I think, in a, rather than being a problem, what they're actually doing is showing us the way. That they, you know, that they, that they, they don't respond to command and control in the way that I, who was brought up in a kind of a compliance culture in Holy Catholic Ireland, was was brought up in, um, and and those people are are gradually um, assuming more senior positions, and that's a good thing. Um, it, what will be interesting to see is is if they move to a more command and control and, and control type of, of of approach once they get into those senior positions, because. We're, we're, we're certainly not there. Um, and uh, uh, kind of the default position is still, I'm in charge, you're not, do as you're told. Um, and, 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 that's, and that's deeply problematic because it doesn't lead to, lead to um, engagement, it doesn't lead to productivity, it doesn't lead to good problem solving. Um, uh, yeah. So... I, I want to dig uh, a bit deeper into the problems with command and control uh, in a moment. Let's look at where that change is coming from, because you talked about the millennial generation, and it was interesting that you said, let's see what happens as they're moving now into positions of leadership. Of course, now we've got Gen Z coming into the workplace, which mm. is another topic that we we covered with Mark Beale a, a number of months ago on the Connected Leadership podcast. Uh, and he, Mark, talked about their different expectations in the workplace. Right. So are Gen Z accelerating that drive for change? And how is that going to impact how the millennials uh, respond as they move into positions from leadership? Or are they going to push back against Gen Z? I, I, you know, I, I think this is, this is almost a crystal ball moment because I, I think you're right. I think that the, the Gen Z um, multiply that drive for change. Um, uh, and 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 that can only be a good thing, and then and then you 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 add in on top the fact that we've we've been through I hope we've been through the pandemic where um, people had to find different ways of 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 managing and of working, um, and, and 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 I think there's another part of the problem which is that that you say you know that there's been it's been clear for at least thirty years to my best knowledge that command and control may have been a pro some would argue was appropriate in a certain time i i, I su suggest maybe was appropriate in a certain time but that time is certainly has gone that time has passed um but but the problem is is that there's been no real suggestion of what should replace it and many organizations have gone down a route of doing things like you know trying to create a coaching culture and and there's a problem with that because you can't just coach people You've got to lead and you've got to manage as well. And if you just coach people, the danger is, and the danger that managers who are trying to stay or, or 
you know, interested at least in changing the way they operate is that coaching feels very fearful. It feels like I will be relinquishing, relinquishing control. And that doesn't feel safe. So, so there's been nothing to replace it. It's interesting that you say it may have been suitable at a particular time. Um, it, it, does it fit a command and control? Are there places where it belongs? There's context where it works. So, for example, playing devil's advocate, I'm sure that there are people who, with a military background who would argue that, particularly on a battlefield, but in a military hierarchy anyway, command and control is the only way forward. I referenced Boris Johnson earlier on in the introduction. In government, if you want to get things done and you've got a lot of opinionated people around the cabinet table, is command and control essential at times? Is there a space for it still? And and let's dig deeper into why not, where not. Oh, and we, we we may be going beyond my sphere of of understanding and uh, and knowledge at that point, um, um, because my answer is is in part it's 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 never appropriate, and I, and I can I can I can go back to a model that sits underneath command and control, and what I'm suggesting we we you know a direction of of a shift that we might take, but when you mentioned the military, if if you look at the more recent. Um, understanding within the military, particularly within uh, the American, and when they talk about uh, mission command, it's really interesting because what they've, what they, they have really, really tried to solve the problem of, which is, which, which is the problem we're talking about, which is how do you give people their head? How do you empower them while still retaining sufficient control so that they're not going off and doing mad things? And the army have the army have a, the highest need of almost any organization to get high performance from their people. The consequences of not are, you know, fatal, literally. Um, so there's a massive need, and and they don't do command and control anymore. They build trust based relationships. They build. They make sure that each person understands the mission. Because if I understand the mission, then I have the parameters, the context within which to start making my own decisions. Because if I'm caught off, caught behind enemy lines with no um, you know, means of communication, I've got to be able to make my own decisions and I've got to be able to make them quickly. So in fact, the, the, the military have, have been showing the way. And if I may go on, because that was a place we looked, um, Ian Harrison, who helped me in putting the book together. Another place we looked was um, startups. Startups have been around for quite a while now. And, and because you're burning somebody else's money in a startup, the, the, the requirement on you, the startup leader, uh, or, your, or your team, is to be as effective as possible. That means that your team members need to be as effective as possible. And, and in fact, the, the, if you look underneath both how a successful entrepreneur startup and, and, and good military uh, leaders work, you'll find a lot of... Um, trust-based relationships. A key to good, a good startup is that everybody understands what the primary business objective is. And that correlates to some degree with understanding the mission. If I know what the primary business objective is and how my task relates to that, I'm engaged, I'm excited, I can make my own decisions. So I, 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 think, I think those kinds of places, those two kinds of organizations and the millennials are beginning to stretch what we're willing to envisage and that's the hope in this moment that we can actually build the foundation for something that, that's more humane and you said that people don't yet know 
what the alternative to command and control is but of course that's really the premise of your book is is what you've talked about the enabling approach to giving people the buy-in and in the book you're talking about align with the why align with the what align with the how and of course many people as soon as they hear align with why they'll think of simon sinek's start with why uh, as as well can you maybe elaborate on those three stages and how they create your model of the enabling manager so great thank you and and with all uh, due respect to mr sinek it, the, the the why doesn't originate with him it, it, it actually um if, if this doesn't sound too arrogant it predates that um the so it is from command and control to align and enable and command loosely uh, correlates with align and control loosely correlates with enable so what align means is that if you think of the of the the um the organization and the individual the 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 manager's job is some is in some sense to facilitate that relationship so they need to make sure that the individual team member understands the the organization's why the organization's why um because that gives them context they need to understand the mission the overarching goals all of those good things so that's one level of alignment if i can find if i can find something in my organization's overarching why that i can relate to that maybe even relates to my why then we're in a really powerful position and that's a job that the, for the manager to facilitate and and can i, I just jump in can i just jump in yeah, there for a second of you can. Yeah. um so that made, immediately gets me thinking about com- organizations coming up with mission statements uh, and, and obviously, it's cut, that comes from trying to get everyone to understand what they're trying to achieve and buy in to the mission of the organisation as a whole. How effectively are organisations doing that? And how if, effectively are you seeing them make those mission statements a part of their DNA? Because I think one of the most common criticisms of them is they'll spend a fortune on consultants to come in and craft these mission statements. They'll plonk them on the wall behind reception and think that's job done, and it's not impactful. No, and 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 lots of consultants have made a lot of money from doing things that don't <laughs> make a difference. And, and and there are organisations, on the other hand, that where where the mission is in the DNA, and there are some consultancies who who do some good work around that. So we've been to to balance the book, um, but I. I see. I, it, it, the trouble is that it that when that is created, it's usually created amongst a very the, the mission statement amongst a very small group of people at the top of the organization, and then it gets communicated. But it gets communicated as a fait accompli. It's done. It's dusted. This is it. So, so, so I, as the miserable employee, don't get any chance to engage with that intellectually or emotionally. So it, it, it's a, and that that simply doesn't work. So one, you know, there, there there's the opportunity there for a more enlightened organisation to actually start looking at what the mission is bottom up. To start ask, asking people around the, you know, you don't have to ask everybody, but if you asked, a, you know, got a kind of a, a quorum together of cross representation, that people were contributing right before the declaration was made you'd get some engagement. And then my, my more specific argument is, back to where we were, is that actually it's the job of the manager to facilitate that conversation. You, you, know, you sit down and you say, you know, welcome to the team, but what, what is it that makes you tick? Yeah, okay, and, and, and are you aware of what the company's mission is? Do you see anything in that that you can be aligned with? Ooh, what an interesting conversation. 
Do you find that some some employees are going to be more responsive, more engaged in those conversations than others? Are there employees who are going to sit there and think, what are you asking me for? Just tell me what to do. In other words, are there are there employees that just want to be commanded and controlled? Un, un, undoubtedly. I, 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 I'm the kind of idiot that remains positive and optimistic um, and, and would believe that that you that you that you that anybody can be um, with with the appropriate skills and the willingness and the good intentions can be brought on board and can be helped to speak up um, but but you're you're undoubtedly you're undoubtedly right there are people who come to work at nine and leave at five or whatever their hours are and and, and what they really want to do is then go home and do whatever's important for them um, but we have got millennials and generation Z who are looking for something different. We know that. We know they want work that's meaningful. We know they want to contribute. Um, so actually, I think that one of the, the, the positive things that may make a shift away from command and control possible is that there are different people in the workplace. So do we, does a, an effective leader need a more of a mixed approach? I, you've made me think back to my first job after university. I spent four years in the civil service. And, and it was a classic example. Sadly, it, it was the stereotype of, of civil service in the UK where there were people there who had a job for life, who were ticking along, who were on flexi time, doing the minimum number of hours they needed. Uh, and really, that was it. They, wanted, they didn't want to be um, innovative. They didn't want to inspire. They didn't. And this isn't any criticism of them. They knew what they wanted. They wanted to get a, a paycheck at the end of the week, do, do what they needed to do to get it, and that was it. Um, are we in a situation where managers need to accommodate them in a different way to where they want to accommodate the people who want to contribute? Yes. Um, and, and, I, and I think that the skill set that, that, that is part of a... Of, um, Align and enable, which is what I'm suggesting is the replacement for a command and control, um, has has four components to it. Lead, manage, coach. Three verbs. These are things you do, but they're quite different in, in substance and in tone and in where the authority sits. So when I'm leading and when I'm managing, the authority sits with me. When I'm coaching somebody, there's a shift where the authority goes to the person who has to execute the task or the goals, achieve the goals. So those are three. And the, and the, 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 the fourth part is the part where, where I've heard you speak, um, which is about relationship. So the fourth, that you can only get permission to do those three things if you have built a trust-based relationship. And, and that means that, that yeah, that, that wonderful things start to happen when lead, manage, and coach are in place on the top on a trust-based relationship because the lead correlates with why. So I know why something's important. Manage correlates with what. I have clarity about what my job is and I'm held to account to it. And how correlates with coach, which is a conversation that enables me to get on and deliver. And I realise I interrupted you earlier when you were in right. the midst of explaining why, what, and how. What I love about the way that you've just um, outlined that is that I talk about the three stages of learning. Um, and there's the, the why. Why do I need to make this change? And, and for someone like me, that's where 
a motivational talk, uh, a keynote speech would come into play. You're not showing people the steps. You're just getting them to want to make the change. Then you have the what, what do we need to do? That's the workshop, the masterclass, the training session. And then the how is the mentoring or the coaching, the embedding of the skills. So actually, we're on the same page very much there. Those fit together perfectly. Yes, they do. Yeah. So, so I did interrupt you when you were outlining that earlier. Did you want to elaborate particularly on the what and the how um, stages a little bit further? I, I, if, you're, if you're willing to, to, to just take a leap of faith, there's a, there's a wonderful notion that comes from a guy from, uh, who was the, the, the guy who created a psychological model and discipline called psychosynthesis named Roberto Asagioli. And he had this wonderful wonderful understanding, which was that there are two essential human drives, love and will. And love is the nurturing bit. It's, 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 it's the, the bit where you, 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 you it, it's about, it's kind of a, a feminine energy. Um, it's, um, it's about trust. It's about letting people get on with it. Um, whereas control is a more masculine energy, sorry, will is a more masculine energy. Um, it's, it's more about control. It's more about the process and the systems. So you've got, so you've got these two things, love and will. Um, and, and, and if you think about those in terms of, of relationships between, say, parent and child, you've got you know, the, the, the nurturing relationship with the child, which can be very useful, but you've also got to do the, the, the will relationship where there's, where there's boundaries. And some of us are better at one than the other. And, and, and the, the game, however, is to not to think of those two things as a polarity, but to rise above them to rise above both love and will, to, to transcend and include, to, to something that embraces both. And, and how um, Asagioli did that was he drew a triangle, the, the bottom of which was love and will, and then he went up to the top of it, which said present, presence. And what he meant was being present in the moment so you make the best decision for the other person at that time. And, and so underneath... Um, Align and enable is this idea of appropriate will and appropriate love. The the enable the love is the enabling piece. The 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 will is the align piece. But it but it 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 but it comes from a, a greater place of openness. And your word earlier, vulnerability, which I kind of think that's required to be able to create those trust based relationships. I think that's a really lovely way of presenting the way to build relationships, which is obviously a question that, that, that lies underneath a lot of what we discuss on this podcast. Um, it, 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 and for me, where that comes from is understanding the other person and seeing it from the other person's perspective right. and understanding where they are at um, yeah. rather than what you want them to do. It would seem to me that that would illustrate a fundamental difference between command and control and, uh, and the type of approach that you're talking about, because command and control is outward focusing. Uh, oh, sorry, almost inward focusing. I want yeah, you sense. to yeah. do this. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas um, the, the more enabling style uh, would be outward focusing. What do you need to hear? Yeah. is that fair that and how do people make that shift how do leaders make that shift from understanding what we want to achieve to how we communicate it more effectively so, so I, I'm, i'll answer the question but it'll be somewhat oblique but, but i think it, it it helps create the full picture i've been training managers and leaders in coaching skills for almost 30 years with some success but 
it was always difficult to get kind of you know everybody on board or you know or or even often enough people on board on board to make the difference that could have been made and one of the primary problems was something i referred to earlier which is that you you, you we can teach managers to coach quite well in a two day workshop i mean i you know you can you, if you're good at know how to train people and to understand what coaching is you can do that I'm not talking about deep kind of coaching on profound issues. I'm talking about coach, coaching around how to, how to do something or how to solve a problem, so more pragmatic stuff. But the reason that, that people didn't take up the coaching uh, baton was fear of losing control. So, and, and, and although I, I, I was able to explain a version of lead manage coach in those days, I never got it to land properly. So the, the love and will piece becomes really important because people can see that in their day-to-day -day life, in their relationship with their parents, with their children, with their friends, you know, with all kinds of other things. So it's a, so an understanding that you have to have both. So what when I was teaching earlier, what people took from me, this was all enabling, all love, all you know, happiness, all hugging trees, and, and none of the, 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 the rigor that's demanded of, of the will side, the managed side. You know, I'm, I'm a complete advocate of people taking responsibility or being held to account with absolute clarity. And it's when those two things sit together that performance changes. And, and, and the performance not just of the, of the person, the, the team leader, but when the team manager sees that they can actually be more effective within this model and they've got appropriate control, the fear diminishes, they get on with it. Andy's new book, Just Ask, Why Seeking Support is Your Greatest Strength, is out now. Looking at the importance of asking for help and admitting vulnerability, it is an essential read in challenging times. Order your copy from Amazon and all good book retailers now, or visit andylapata.com forward slash just ask. So it begs the question, um, where does gender come into play here? You, you, we constantly hear about how the world would be a different place if we had more female leaders. Um, I think we probably are li more likely to associate a command and control approach uh, with alpha male personality types uh, rather than a more feminine personality type, rightly or wrongly. Maybe you can you can shed some light on that. Is it? Um, is it more likely that women will understand this approach more intuitively uh, and be drawn to it? You know, the, the, the nurturing nature of the feminine personality. And, and I do stress the feminine personality sometimes more than masculine and feminine rather than male and female, because I think we all have yes. a mix of both. Um, but is it more feminine traits that we need? And is that driving uh, more of a shift away from command and control? It's such a complex question, and we could both get into such an amount of trouble. Um, <laughs> because, I, because I was very careful early when I used the word masculine and feminine to pitch them as, as energies rather than as something that's built into your body. Um, I, I, so I think we have masculine and energy and, and female um, attributes, all of us, whatever sex we are. Yes, I'd agree. It seems that in our society, men get educated to be more on the will side and and women to be more on the the um, love side, the nurturing side, and of course, a primary role for many women is is the nurturing role. So, from all of that, there is a greater affinity. But I have, I have to tell you, I have I have met some women in business who are terrifying. Um, 
and and equally met some some uh, some men who are almost too good at the nurturing and 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 unwilling to hold people to account. Um, but I think that I think the basic premise across the you know the population that I've bumped into is yes, women tend to graduate to this in my observation, right or wrong, more easily than men do. And then I've got a nagging thing going on with me that actually. You know what? We're teaching this stuff in a highly intellectual environment. Coaching skills and lead, manage, coach is really difficult. So, you know, management consultancies and uh, professional service firms really difficult. Go into the shop floor, uh, you know, a, a place that, that is pragmatic, results orientated. You know, the, uh, some kind of line being managed. They get it instantly. They 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 have no there's there's no. The, 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 the pragmatism of lead managed coach is such that people who don't over intellectualize it and get on with it just just say okay got it miles but what do I need to do and and you know it, so it's it's funny that it can be much easier so you know are we overthinking it are there simple ways just to make shifts in the workplace that are going to make a real difference to people's lives without as you say you know overthinking it yeah, I, I, I think a, 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 a fun, an understanding of the, those, you know, there are other answers and other solutions. But of course, I'm going to tell you about my construct and how I understand it and what I've taught and what I've seen worked. But it's like, you know, with, a, with a, one of the broadcasting companies uh, in this country, I, I worked with a, um, a marketing director a number of years back who was really very clear that what he needed to do was to step up a level in terms of, of his... Um, his contribution, so more strategic, more long-term, all of those things. But the barrier was that his that he was still doing, he was too, still too hands-on with his team. So he had to make a shift. And part of the way in which he made the shift was we ran a series of four workshops where we taught them lead, manage, coach, so that they will be better at managing their team, so that they will be able to step up a level and, and do more thoughtful work. Um, and, 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 and tactical work. And then the last part of that event was that we ran a fifth workshop in which I trained his, him and his team to deliver my material to the next level down. They ended up delivering it not just to the next level down, but the next two levels down. And it wasn't that they, when they came along, they were all inspired to do what Miles was teaching. It was the pragmatism and the, the shift in the result that they saw that caused them then to start teaching it. And once they started teaching it, they got their heads around it even further. They got better at the skills themselves. Utter transformation. Uh, and I think that, that many people would recognize that if you can start displaying results, people will pick up on it, want to yeah. know how you're getting there and repeat it. Uh, I, I still could imagine there being a lot of pushback. I, I yeah. love the approach, and if it's everything that I've talked about. Uh, but I think we revert to what we know. Uh, do you think there's a fear element as well here in terms of if I start giving my team too much rope, they'll hang me uh, with it and command and control gives us that feeling of control yeah. uh, that we're able to do it. And how do we overcome that fear? I, so, I, so I still think you kind of it's, it's kind of the theme of the conversation really hasn't it been about, are, you know, are we done with command and control or is it done with us? And I think it's been such a, you know, we have been trained to compliance by 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 our by our school system, our education system, our universities are you know you, you know when you've got when you've got a, a management system 
um, in place in some organizations, the kind of that awful nine nine box where you know a group of in a group of people x percentage of them have to be seen as failing even if they were all actually performing quite well that's an absurdity that's built on 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 control and it's still there and it won't be there for so so i'm i'm very cautious about the organizations that i go into work with and my caution centers on is does the 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 leader or the leadership have the courage to push this through and if they do, we can work. And if they don't, I don't know what happens then. But sometimes we don't work. Um, and it's and it's like because because in order to if, you, if you're going to stretch the culture out of shape, you've got to pull it and hold it until the people come with you. So you've got to make sure that and and that means that the the, the there's a further level of alignment between the, the the values, the 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 all the all the reinforcing procedures and and structures and pay systems. All of those things have got to shift to accommodate the shift in, the shift in culture. So it is a major major activity. Still there, some increasingly leaders have courage. People from Generation um, Z and Millennials have more of that courage, have more of that need, and, and, um, and understand it more intuitively. And, and that's why I'm optimistic. That's why I felt it was a good time to publish a book that's been in my mind for probably about 10 years. Yeah. The, the, it's interesting that over the course of our conversation, you've talked about the, the, the push for change coming from millennials, and we touched on Gen Z as well, so coming from lower, on in, lower down in the organisation. Um, you've just talked about the need for leaders in the organization to, to have the hunger for change. It's sort of thrown my mind back to when I interviewed Vanessa Vallely, uh, who, who, who was right. a guest on one of the early podcasts, but I interviewed her for my book, Just Ask. And she right. talked about the need for change in organizations having to come from what she called the marzipan layer, but the middle managers that have been around for a while. You know, when you look at those three distinct areas, young people coming in, they might not be coming in at the bottom of the organization because they might be coming through graduate trainee schemes or coming into management now, millennial generation, uh, particularly not coming to management, coming into leadership roles. Um, when you look at the top of the organization at the very top or that long term middle management, what role does each play in making this a success? I it, it makes it makes me so angry when people talk about the marzipan layer or or what was it the, the, the permafrost, um, you know the kind of that that you know that you, nothing gets through, and it, it often doesn't get through because they you, in lots of organisations what you have is the people who get the leadership development training are the high potentials, and 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 the others kind of get kind of left behind, and they have been the ones who are most inculcated into a, a an environment a mentality of compliance, when you attend to them. And give them breathing space, and 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 yes, show them respect. They 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 can come along with you, and 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 so when I hear that argument being made about that that permafrost layer, I get angry because it, you know, if, if these people are untrusting and and and, and disengaged, where, where are you going to look? You can look at them, but maybe you should look at the people who are leading and managing them. Maybe that's where the problem is. And, so, and I get into a lot of trouble when I say that in, in, in moments when I'm giving a, um, a keynote speech because I'm, those people are sitting in front of me and, they're, and they're, they're, they're pointing at these other people, a bit like our friend Boris Johnson. Thing. <laughs> it's all their fault. They, they weren't good enough. No, no, no. You're the leader. You're the manager. You're the coach. Get off your ass. Change it. Uh, you've reminded me of a very early client conversation 
when I started this business and my client drew a little grid and he put one, two, three, four. And he said, these fours, he said, not interested in them because they'll never get any better. They're the ones, they're absolutely fine. They're going to fly. It's the threes, the twos are the ones I want to work with because they're the ones with potential. He's leaving out three quarters of his team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can see why you might get angry with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so you, you mentioned Boris Johnson. We started out by talking about it. It yes. is topical. It probably wouldn't be in 99% of these conversations, but let's be topical with this. We are now. We now know that the bun fight is going to start, unless it's finished in three days or five days between recording and publishing this podcast. We're going to see a variety of people from the Conservative uh, Party, front bench and backbenchers, put themselves forward. Um, to become the next Prime Minister of the UK. What should we be looking for? What are the signs, what are the qualities we should be looking for in an effective Prime Minister? You, you, you realise you're asking that of uh, an Irish... <laughs> I do. ...passive Republican. You, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. But I, I purposely left it as yeah. what should we be looking for? You know, yeah. you could say President of Ireland, T-Shock, I can't pronounce it, but uh, T-Shock, uh, yeah. T-Shock yeah. yes, yeah. Uh, or a President of the US or whoever it might be. Yeah. Effective leader at the highest level, what are the qualities we should be looking for? Well, I, I, you know, <laughs> a certain absence of self-interest. <laughs> we're, 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 excuse my with, language, but we're screwed. It's like we can, yeah, you know, yeah. This is such a, a broad conversation about about you know how do you how do you genuinely go about because um, the whole activity of of a small elite in a bubble in the centre of Dublin or Washington or or London. You know, it's like it, 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 they think in terms of, of command and control. They they even had a department called Nudge. You know, it's like it's like an all you know, there are good aspects to Nudge, but you've got to have good intentions in order to Nudge. And boy, you have to do a lot more listening than actually happens before you can start to Nudge. Um, uh, so it's really difficult. The system doesn't really allow for proper engagement. Um, and and at that point, once 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 you kind of accept that, then it becomes about manipulation. Um, so so, I, I, a, a, a very good friend of mine, a guy called Tim Galway, who wrote the um, the uh, the Inner Game of Tennis and other books, did some work for the U.S. Senate and went back a year later and kind of was a little bit shocked by the fact that nothing had, had moved on in any way. And, and one guy who was his junior by some years said, listen, Sonny, said, you know, people around here don't say anything that they wouldn't say to the papers. It's like, you know, you cannot make good decisions in that way. No, and I, I, yes, I think we're probably getting into uh, a completely different topic when yeah. we look at the, the, the sure. problems with politics. I, I, I interviewed a couple of uh, senior politicians for, for Just Ask uh, under, for a chapter of the, under the question of do we allow our politicians to be vulnerable? Uh, and I had a premise that I went into that conversation with that was borne out that we don't create an environment that allows for politicians who listen, who adapt, who yeah. learn, who change. Um, but even within the remit we allow them i don't necessarily think we're getting the, the top people the no. best people at the top no uh, uh, I, I i would love to think it's possible 
we, we, we would need to, a massive cultural change to, to see that happen. And I think there are politicians that yeah. are capable of being oh. great prime ministers yeah. in, in the in the Conservative Party, in the Labour Party, and elsewhere. Yeah. I don't think they're the ones that are going to win those leadership elections. It's no. not going to happen. No. Miles, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I've got a copy of the book, uh, The Enabling Manager. I'm looking forward to reading that in more detail. Uh, certainly my, my early dips into it uh, are very illuminating, as has our conversation been. Best of luck with it. Uh, and thank you for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. It's been a joy and great fun. And, and um, just lovely to kind of share different ways of thinking about the same things and see what emerges so thank you thank you so thanks again to miles for joining me it, it was a, uh, a really intriguing conversation and a fun conversation uh and and i had to throw in the topical conversation about what's happening in british politics at the moment i i did realize i was asking an irishman um but i wanted that input and insight maybe there's another conversation there and maybe i have a very interesting guest lined up uh, to dig a little bit more deeply into this uh topic um but thank you very much to miles again for joining me uh, i i do um i really like the will versus love uh positioning that he talked about um, and I think it's a really great way of repositioning how we look at those relationships with the people we lead um, and, and how we get that balance right, rising above it, as Miles said, uh, and making sure that those key ingredients are both there. And that's a great move away from command and control, which I still maintain we need to do. So thank you very much to, for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you have enjoyed this, uh, please tell your network, uh, post on LinkedIn, post a review and make sure you follow us as well so you don't miss future episodes. I'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great Connected Leadership tips.